Good morning. Hope you've had a good week. Hope you're all ready to go for this week. Uh, thank you so much uh, for our worship team and so on. It is just so helpful in these days to focus our attention on God and remember that whatever the chaos is, is that's going on here and however it's affecting us, that uh, he's still in heaven, he's still in charge of history, and he's still at work in our lives. And of course, with what we're talking about, uh, that's kind of what we're counting on right now. Um, we uh, have been in this series called Reboot, and just kind of talking about our world and how that, you know, the COVID virus came along and really shut everything down for the first time in history that I'm aware of, I guess probably since the flood, where everybody in the world experienced kind of the same thing, and now we're kind of crawling out of it. And so the whole issue of rebooting something, whether it's a smart TV or whether it's your cell phone or whether it's a computer, you have to shut it down and then you restart it. You turn it back on again, and of course, that cleans out the system many times, you know, help you to uh, restart the programs and everything that's supposed to be happening there. Now, uh, part of the issue that we've struggled with, I think, in this time is that the message we've been getting, which is trying to get, trying to contain the disease, I understand that, but the message has been ongoing, and it's a message of fear. It's fear. It's be afraid. There's this disease out there. It's stalking you. It's stalking our world, and if you're not careful, you're going to die. You're going to kill somebody else. What this leads to is anger and frustration, especially in all the different you know, constraints that have been put upon us and so on. And when we're angry, we react, at least I do. And when I react, I'm at my worst. And my tendency when I react is to find somebody to blame. And so we blame COVID, we blame you know, the government for shutting things down, we blame the stores, we blame other people and so on. So the bottom line is, do we show caution? Absolutely. Fear, fear will send you in the wrong direction. And so we need to be careful with that. Now, we've been talking uh, in this series about the fact that, you know, some of you right now maybe are in a start over, like you were in start over mode before we hit COVID and so on. So maybe you're starting off and starting over in a relationship or starting over at a job or starting over financially. Lots of, lots of different reasons why we could uh, be starting over. And uh, we've been, last week we talked about the fact that, you know, one of the things that you need to do if you're going to start over correctly, you need to own it, okay? You need to own it. You need to take responsibility for whatever your part is in it, even if it's just a small part, and even when you're tempted to blame everybody else for the problem. Now, today, uh, we asked this question before, but today we're really going to focus on this question, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? So, that's kind of, kind of where we're going. Um, Lori and I like to watch this show uh, called Mayday. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's about plane crashes. And of course, the FAA or whatever the nation's version of that is, they come in and investigate and find out why this plane crashed, okay? So we were watching an episode a few weeks ago where someone's dash cam caught on, right on the dash, right in, right in film and so on, this plane crash in Taipei, Taiwan. Now imagine driving down a highway and seeing what basically would look like this, okay? I'm trying to get it up here. This plane going down right in front of you on your highway, and that's kind of what it looked like. Um, so it's kind of creepy and scary because as you're watching this thing in just a flick of an eye, like in, in a few seconds, you know that there's a bunch of people on this plane. They're going to die. Now, the FAA knew that one of the engines had stopped because of the fact that this guy apparently called in and said that. But 
a flight simulator proved that the plane could have and should have kept flying. They could have made it safely back to the airport. And they were wondering what went on until they listened to the cockpit voice recorder. And the, the pilot, the captain's last words were, Oh no, I turned off the wrong engine. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Now, they're quite clinical in these shows. I don't know if you've ever seen Mayday or not, but they, you know, they go through factually and say what happened and so on. But imagine that you had a husband on this plane. Imagine that you had a wife on this plane or a child on this plane or a grandparent, you know, and you think, okay, well, yeah, planes do crash. This is really awful. But then you hear the captain say, oh, no, I turned off the wrong engine. Now, why? What was he thinking? Well, in circumstances like that, I guess you don't have time to think. And so he was just reacting. And unfortunately, his reaction killed him and killed a bunch of other people. Fifteen people survived, but unfortunately, 43 didn't. There are times in life when you need to react to a crisis. Many times that's all you have to do. Like when you're in a car and you see something coming your way, you have to react to it. And, and many times you get a do-over on it. But there are times in life when if you react to what's going on, it can be catastrophic. Now, again, what we are reacting to these days is fear. And when, we, when we're afraid, we do things that we would never do. Sometimes we never think. So, uh, someone told me that, a friend just recently told me that his friend's son was, you know, like six years old, unable to wear a mask because of some asthma problems. So he comes into school, comes into the classroom without a mask, and his first grade teacher yelled at him, you're going to kill me. Well, that's a reaction. That doesn't even make sense. It's extreme, but fear creates all kinds of stuff, frustration and panic, and we react, and I'm telling you, it almost never goes well. A lot of things seem normal when there's going to be things that seem normal when this pandemic is in the rearview mirror. I mean, people will still date and buy pizza and buy cars and, you know, watch Netflix and go to school and so on, but there will be a new normal. So here's where I want to go this morning. Are you reacting or are you thinking? Because God doesn't react. His normal never changes. And that's what we need to tap into is His normal. Now, what you need to know is that a lot of people in the Bible had to start over, okay? Adam and Eve had to start over, you know. Noah had to start over and help with that process, you know. And, and Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David and Daniel and, and, you know, Peter and Paul, a lot of people had to start over, okay? And the message to all of them has always been, do not be afraid because God is with you. And he is God of the old normal, and he is God of the new normal, too. Now, God, though, will not just put us on autopilot. Like, he didn't have this system where if you just kind of tap into it and so on, you really don't have to even think, you know, you just kind of go into, you know, the right mode. That, that doesn't happen. God has given us a brain, and he causes us to, re to have to sometimes rethink what we're doing. And that's kind of where we're going today. So, if you want the next time to be better then the last time, you need to own it, and then you also need to rethink it. Now, once you and I um, figure out our part of why, again, it's rethinking. And we ask the question, 
we have to ask the question, what was I thinking? Now, a lot of times we ask this question, like we'll do something dumb, and it's almost like it's kind of an apology to the people who know us and something that went really bad. You know, we say, oh my, what was I thinking? And if it was, you know, really, really bad and created all this chaos, oh my word, what was I thinking? You know, why didn't I leave the party while I was sober? You know, it seemed like a good idea at the time, you know, but, you know, furnishing the whole apartment, you know, with a credit card, mm, we're choking in debt. You know, the promise that I was going to get a 30%, you know, return on my investment, and I invested in my whole life savings. It seemed too good to be true, and it was. It wasn't true, you know. I know that flirting and texting, you know, you know, was a bad idea and could wreck a lot of things. What was I thinking? I bought a van at night. This is my own personal confession. I bought a van at night, and I used my wife's savings to buy it. What was I thinking? And, of course, the problem is I wasn't thinking. We get ourselves in incredible messes, you know, and sometimes we're kind of like a fish caught in a gill net, you know, and we're twisting and turning around in this thing, you know, trying to hide and blame and, you know, try to, you know, make it somebody else's fault and do all this kind of stuff. And we just get all twisted up in this net, and we die there. And God is the one who can cut us out of the net and help us to find our way out of the tangled uh, stuff that we're in. Now, here's, this is a great question. What was I thinking? That's a great question. The problem is that we don't stop long enough to ask, to answer the question. You know, in some ways, you know, as I mentioned, it's kind of a public confession. You know, oh, I was so dumb. I was so gullible. What was I thinking? You know, but then we just kind of move right on. And we never stop to, you know, answer, okay, what was I thinking? You know, what was I thinking? I'll have another one of those. <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah, I'll, I'll lease a new truck. What was I thinking? She sure is cute, you know. She, what was I thinking? You know, let's go shopping. And we just kind of get ourselves back in the same messes. Now, here's the deal, okay. If you think the way you used to think, you will do the things you used to do. If you want to get out, you have to think differently. You have to break the cycle. Now, there's a surprising story uh, behind this rethinking things, uh, and it involves somebody you know, and I bet you can't guess who it is. Well, it's Abraham, okay? Now, he didn't ask this question of himself, okay? Somebody else asked him, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Now, let me just kind of set this up for you. He and Sarai, you know, they leave their home in Ur, which was a very sophisticated city, very, you know, very modern city in that day. And God asked them to leave. He's going to bless the whole earth through them. And they're living out in tents, you know, in this new promised land that uh, God had said he was going to give them. Famine hits the land, so they decide that they're going to move their tents, which was easy to do. You pack up your tent, put it on your camel, bring all your servants and all your stuff, and they move down to Egypt, okay, for a season. So apparently, Sarai, we now know her as Sarah, is like drop-dead gorgeous even at the age of 65, okay? So this says something for the aging process back there. So Abram is thinking, okay, we move, go down here to Egypt. There's going to be a powerful new king, maybe Pharaoh, who will see how beautiful she is and then kill me to get to her, okay? That's what he's thinking. Now, so he says to her, he says, well, tell them that, you know, you're my sister. Now, she was, actually. You know, his dad, they both had similar dads, different mothers and stuff. And before you send them off to, you know, a trailer park down in Arkansas, you need to know this was quite common back in that day. It was the truth, but it wasn't the whole truth. She was his wife. So, you know, 
Pharaoh's officials, you know, they see her, and he brings her into his harem and so on. And so he goes to bed one night, and God shows up in his dream, and he says, you're a dead man because you've taken somebody else's wife. Now, just an FYI on this, I think we ought to probably think through what God said to him that night before we get off. But he says, you know, he comes up to him, Pharaoh comes up to him, he says, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Now, Abram learned this lesson, right? Right? 25 years go by, and by this time, he'd had all this experience with God, okay? God had actually met up and talked with him on a number of occasions. He'd seen angels, you know? Uh, God had made a covenant with him. God had just showed up as his tent, you know, and, and basically, you know, told him that this baby, Isaac, was going to be born within a year. So, Sarah may have been pregnant at this particular juncture, okay? So, but he forgets. Abram traveled from there south to Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. And while he, was, while he was camping in Gerar, Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she's my sister. So Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream that night and told him, you're as good as dead. That woman you took, she's a married woman. So Abimelech, this, this you know, pagan king, he gets this wake-up call, just like Pharaoh. And God said, you better give her back. You know, and if you, ask, if you ask Abraham, he will pray for you, and God will heal the people in your house. And so you know, Abimelech comes up to him and says, what were you thinking? Let me read the actual account. Abimelech went on to Abraham, whatever were you thinking of when you did this thing? And Abraham said, I just assumed I just assumed that there was no fear of God in this place and that they'd kill me to get my wife. Besides, the truth is that she is my half-sister. She's my father's daughter, but not my mother's. When God sent me out as a wanderer from my father's home, I told her, do me a favor, wherever we go, tell people that I'm your brother. Now, why didn't Abraham tell the whole truth? Fear. See, fear causes us to not think clearly. And that's why many times we, you know, do some of the things that we were doing. You know, like we're doing in this pandemic. What was I thinking? Well, you know, many of us, you know, we're basing what we're thinking on wrong assumptions. Now, the principle for this was laid out 2,000 years ago in terms of rethinking what we've done and so on. And we've talked about this a number of times. Guy that wrote it down was Paul. And, of course, Paul was, you know, as... Uh, as Jeremiah talked about in a message a couple of weeks ago, he says that he was kind of the king of all the reboots. I mean, you know, he was out there killing and imprisoning God's people, the church, and so on, and then his name was changed because he was changed. He was transformed. He was a different man, and he gave his life for Jesus instead of trying to take, the, take, uh, take out what Jesus had done. Romans 12, he talks specifically about how this rethinking happened in his life. Radical change. Listen to what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And the word there that's used is logicon. It means this is the smart thing to do. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, Here's the underlying question here, and I just want you to think about this from your own perspective, okay? Whoops, missed a, missed a picture here, okay? 
The word that's used for transformed is metamorpho, okay, great word, and it talks about what happens, you know, when, when, you know, caterpillars, you know, eat a bunch of leaves and curl up and go to sleep and build a little tent and come out a butterfly. And so the question is, who do you want to look like? See, that's the question. Because there's two options here according to what Paul says. You can conform and you can look like everybody else in this world. And your relationships can be like everybody else's in this world. Your marriage can be like everybody else's in this world. Your finances can be like everybody else's and so on. Your debt can be like everybody else's. And the question is, who do you want to look like? Who do you want to look like? Now, we see this whole word, metamorpho, transform, we see it all, you know, it comes, it comes out in kids' toys, you know, it comes out in movies, the, the morphers, you know, the, the transformers and so on. So it's a pretty cool thing. And we talked about it a few weeks ago. And if you don't think differently, then your life is going to look just like everybody else's. Um, and the question is, is that what you want? Do you want to just look like everybody else? Do you want to have your life end up like everybody else's? Because that will happen quite naturally. Now, there are two basic things that this passage says that you and I need to do. And the first is that you need to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Now, everybody knew what this looked like back in that culture. It was a pretty bloody, messy thing. And they would take a bull or they would take a lamb or a goat or something, and they would put it on an altar. It would be dead. And, they would, and of course, they would burn it. As a, as a sacrifice. But this means a living sacrifice. So we stay alive. And the point is that I need to be on that altar, not burning up, but needs to be me. The self-centeredness that is so natural in my life, it needs to be gone because self-centeredness is what drives the conformity to this world. And it says, this is a logical act of worship. Given what God has done for you, given the fact that he made you, given the fact that he calls you, given the fact that he's made a way for you to be forgiven, this is a logical thing to do. Makes sense. And the question I want to ask is, have you ever done that? Like, have you ever come to him and offered yourself completely to him? You know, and you didn't tuck your car keys to, you know, your car someplace else. You didn't, you know, tuck the keys to your house someplace else. You didn't hide your sexuality or something like that that you really didn't want to give. Have you ever come and just offered yourself completely to God? Now, one of the illustrations I've used often on this is the illustration of fiberglass. I don't know if you've ever worked with it, but there's usually this, this kind of cloth, and it's real crumbly kind of cloth, really messy to work with. And then there's usually a can of resin that you use uh, for, to actually, you know, uh, mix with that cloth. If you just mix that resin with the cloth and put it over the cloth, you have a sticky mess, and it will never stop being sticky and messy. It's just goopy is all it is. There's one little thing that changes it, okay? And it's called a catalyst. And what it is, it's acid. And you put like about two teaspoons of acid in with the resin, and then you put it on there. And I'm telling you, it will get rock hard. But without it, all you have is a mess, and the Spirit of God is the one who is that catalyst in the mix of us offering our lives and offering our opportunities uh, to God. So the catalyst is the answer. Now here's what you and I need to understand. Our dedication to God is critical, but it's not enough. Okay? 
You know, and if you were raised in the church, you probably went forward at some point, you know, or you were at camp and you threw a stick in the fire or, you know, something along that line. You rededicated yourself, gave yourself back to God, you know, lots of times. And you were determined, I'm going to live differently in high school. I'm going to live, I'm going to use my money differently. I'm going to handle my sexuality differently and so on. And then you get down the, down the road a little bit and you find out that, you know, just, you know, like deciding that you were going to do that wasn't enough. Um, Lori and I have restored a lot of furniture, and I should say probably more like Lori, like I've done some of the work on it, but she's the one who has a vision for it. So I bought this down at Salvation Army. Now, you can't see it very well, but this is just an old piece of furniture, and if you're going to strip this thing, you can't just, you know, slop new finish on top of it, okay? You could, but it'll peel off. What you need to do is you need to grind or you need to scrape, put acid on this thing and get all the old finish off. Take off the old before you put on the new. And this actually could look pretty decent. You know, you get all the old junk off there, clean it up, you know, and, and get some little knobby things on the top there and put some finish on it and probably look pretty cool. But it won't just happen. You can't just put the new on there. Um, and it's time-consuming doing that, and it's messy doing that. But you have to take the old off and, and then put the new on. Um, a few years ago, I was finishing a, a boat trailer. So, you know, it was all rusty and stuff like this, and the paint was flaking off. So I kind of half-heartedly scraped off part of the paint, you know, used a little bit of wire brush, and then put new paint on there. And it looked okay for a while, but then all the new stuff started peeling off because they didn't take off all the old, and they didn't grind it all off. See, we're sincere when we, many times when we make our promises, you know, I'm going to goof off less in university, and my next job, I'm going to, you know, and in my next relationship, I'm going to try to, and I'm going to, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, and I'm going to do better, I'm going to try, you know, but, but our own effort, you see, doesn't cut it. So it takes more than just dedication. You think about how many times you've committed yourself to an exercise plan and a diet plan. You know, you got the Nutrisystem, you, you bought the Peloton bike and so on, you know, and it worked, you know, for a month and then, you know, then you stopped it, you know, and, and haven't gone back. But that's what happens when you don't renew, when you don't rethink how you, you know, view exercise and how you view food, you know. When people miss this whole, you know, renewing your mind, rethinking your life, then what happens is they get themselves in destructive patterns of, of relationships and destructive patterns of dating. And this is a little bit what it looks like, okay? You're going to love this drawing. Just an amazing, amazing drawing. If I can actually get the page turned here. Okay? So the problem is, you know, in life, you train your eyes, you know, to not see certain things and to see other things. You train your ears in terms of what to listen to. And you train your mind in terms of what you want to think and so on. And it naturally goes to that. You, you travel in those ruts over years, and I'll tell you, those ruts will get really deep. And that's the problem. That's the only way to get out of those things is not say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to drive better. You know, I'm going to stay out of the ruts. Well, you probably won't because you spend a lot of time and energy, you know, building those ruts. Now, this is common sense stuff, isn't it? You know, take off the old before you put on the new. You got to think in new ways if you're going to change. Everybody knows it's true, but here's the problem. We think, well, sure, that's true. But it's true for the person sitting next to me, not for me. See, my situation is unique. I'm special. The, you know, the way I, the, you know, what I have to face is different than everyone. Well, it's not. You're just telling yourself that. Being sincere is not 
enough. And you know that because of the exercise program that you used to have. Notice what's at stake here. It says that if you do this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. See, so, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I want to do God's will. God, speak to me, you know, just show me what you want me to do. Well, it's saying here that it's the renewed thinking that's going to help you to know what God's will actually is. And this is so critical. It takes time to do it. It, it, and you've got to read, you know, what he has to say about life, and you know, and you have to think about, you know, what has happened in your own life, and and rethink what you're doing so that you can understand what he wants you to do. That's why it's so important to be part of a church, and so important to, you know, to talk to Jesus about this stuff on a daily basis because he can guide you, he can help you in this whole rethinking process. Now. I'm assuming that you realize that our world system operates on a totally different set of assumptions. You know that, right? I mean, if you base your life on them, if you base your life on those assumptions, then you're going to be doing what Jesus said not to do. Remember at the end of his, his Sermon on the Mount, you know, he says, you know, you, you just build on the sand unless you go down and you go after the foundation. He said, your whole life is going to wash away someday. You need to build your life on what I've said. What you build your life on makes a huge difference. Now, there are some basic assumptions in our culture, and I'm just going to kind of go down through them here. And these aren't original with me. You know, I picked them up with Andy Stanley. But listen, listen to what this says. If I find the right person, everything will be okay. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> you won't find the right person because the right person, if you've been down a wrong path, isn't going to be interested in you. Instead of looking for the right person, you need to become the right person. You know, and you think, well, I don't know, you know, I just keep dating these jerks. Well, you have to ask the question, why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep going back to that? Second assumption is my situation is unique. You just refer to this. And honestly, you know what? You know how we use this assumption? We use it to dodge the rules. We use it to dodge the things that we don't feel like doing. We assume, well, you know, the Bible says something different on this than, than the way I'm handling, but I'm unique. Well, you are unique and you are special, but your situation is no different. A third assumption is it's not right, but it makes me happy and God wants me to be happy. Well, where did you assume that? You tell me where you find that in the Bible, because, you know, pretty much made that up. Now, assuming that God does want you to be happy, okay, then he tells us how to be happy. He tells us, you know, gives us this in the, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, blessed are the pure in heart, you know, and blessed are people, you know, who, you know, realize that they don't have anything to offer. The blessing is totally different than what this world has to say, you know, and, and so what you're assuming is, you know, this is not right, but God's telling me to do it because he wants me to be happy. Is that really what you think? That God would tell you to do something wrong? Number four, another deadly assumption. If I only had, then I would be satisfied. You know, if I only had the right job, if I only, you know, could go back to school, if I only had the right husband or wife or girlfriend, you know, if I only had the right car, you know, you know what, you know what the truth is? Like they've done research on this. The way this works is that our satisfaction level, you know, you think people say, well, if I only won the lottery, you know, what the, you know what the truth is on this? People win the lottery, and the satisfaction level spikes up for like about two or three weeks, and then it goes back down again. Sometimes it goes down lower, okay? 
You think, well, if I just had this cool car, like this car is so cool. If I had that car, I'd be satisfied. You know what will happen? You'll get that car, and you'll be paying for it, and then your satisfaction level will go right back down. Well, if I had this new job, if I could only, 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 only get this job, it would be the job of my dreams. Well, work is work, and it will go up, and then it will go back down again. And you think, well, you know, if, if I only, you know, had this boyfriend, oh, he's so cute, you know, and if I could only get him and stuff like this, your satisfaction level will go up a little bit, and then it'll go down. And it may go way down, okay? This stuff, satisfaction is not in getting what you want. Now, there's another assumption, and it's I owe is better than I want. And I'll tell you, that's the biggest lie of our generation. See, there's tension on both sides. There's tension in wanting something and not getting it. And then there's tension in owing something, owing on something, okay? But you're deceiving yourself if you think that making payments on something that you no longer even like is going to make you more satisfied than waiting to buy something, okay? I owe, you know, can be a noose around your neck. It can choke the life out of you. Another deadly assumption, especially for those who are entering into a relationship with a significant other, is, you know, well, my secret is safe with me. Well, it's not. Because I'll tell you, you get in a relationship and you find out that secrets leak. And I'm telling you, they break the hearts of the people that, you know, you're trying to hide them from. Secrets leak. And what happens is they, they eat at something called trust person's ability to trust you and then that can sabotage your whole relationship and you go into a new relationship you know with your secret prescription drug habit or you know your you know your your spouse and your secret and you make a threesome and somebody's got to go same with addiction of, of any kind same with you know addiction to pornography this stuff he makes a threesome and somebody has to go number seven and this is the last one i'll just talk about there are lots more you know one more, sex will solve it. Now, come on, we just need to use our heads on this one, okay? Sex outside of the guardrails that God has placed on it doesn't solve anything. It complicates things. Sex is not, you know, contrary to this thing, this assumption in our culture, it's not just another appetite, you know, to be satisfied. And if you think it is, then ask somebody who's been molested or raped if it was, you know, if it was like somebody stole their lunch. It's devastating because sex goes to the very soul. And you think about it. You think about, you know, if people would just take God seriously on this, how much less pain and chaos and disease and all kinds of stuff would be in our culture. We don't take God seriously because we don't want to change. We don't want to rethink our lives. See, bottom line, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? What did I base that on? It's a great question, but if you want things to be different, you've got to take the time to answer the question about what you were thinking. Now, right now, we're all in the process, as I mentioned, of starting over, you know, in some new arena of life. Our world is in major reboot mode, you know, and none of us are really sure what the future is going to look like. And I'm, I personally am not sure if we're going to even know that for another, you know, probably another year, maybe even more than that. Because starting over is a big deal, okay? And some of us are starting over in other areas of our lives. And if you do, if you're going to start over, and if, you're gonna, if the la if next time is going to be different than the last time, then you have to own it. You have to own your responsibility. Remember we talked about this, you know, 
about the circle of blame, you know. So you've got to figure out what your part is. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe it's not 5%, maybe it's half percent. I don't know. But there are people who, you know, really did hurt you and so on, so you need to figure out how much of that was me. Like, what was my part in this? Very important part of this. You've got to rethink it, you know. And that's what we've been talking about up to this point. It's not enough just to say, what was I thinking? You have to take the time to actually take a look at it and say, what was I thinking? What, was I, what kind of assumptions was I basing my thinking on? Answer the question. And there's a final piece to this. And I talked about this, you know, in, in the last series when you just can't let it go. And it was actually the last message in that series. And it's the, it's the whole issue of releasing it. See, if you don't own your part of it, then you will smuggle that into the next whatever that you're doing, next relationship, next job, whatever, if you don't own that. And the problem is if you don't, you know, decide what you're going to do with this part of it, then that is going to affect whatever happens next in your life as well. You've got to forgive the people who hurt you. And some of you have had people, and they really have hurt you, like they burnt you, like they took your savings, like they took your heart and stepped on it, like they really did hurt you. They, they crushed your reputation. And most of us would say, yeah, you know, this would have never happened if it weren't for him, or if it weren't for her, or if it weren't for them, or if it weren't for the company, or you know, if it weren't for COVID, you know, which has become, you know, kind of the mother of all excuses. We own our part, but, and that's good, but then you need to release the rest into the hands of God. And these people that have hurt you and burnt you, you know, or this person or this organization, you know, they really are to blame, but you are now responsible for what you're going to do with that. And you have to add, remember the question that we asked in that last, in that last message in that series, and like, how far are you going to carry it? You know, the Bible says, you know, if you take anger down inside, you take resentment and all this junk that comes into your heart, and you let it set down there, you're kind of creating a staging ground for Satan, for him to take down the rest of your life. So you own your piece of this, but if you don't release whoever it is that hurt you by forgiving them, then they're going to smuggle their stuff into your future. And the question you have to answer is, how much am I going to carry? How much of this am I going to carry into whatever I do next? See, because when you've been hurt deeply, then there is resentment there. You, you can't deny that. There is fear there that it's going to happen again. There is pain. There's anger, you know? So how far are you going to carry it? Like, how many sunsets are you going to go? Is it going to be 50 sunsets? Is it going to be 360 sunsets? 1,000 sunsets? How far are you going to carry this load? Forgiveness, you see, is not this obligation. Ah, you know, God tells me to do it or he'll send me to hell, so I'm not going to. No, it's God's gift to us to be able to forgive, to be able to release, to be able to let it go. How far into your future do you plan to carry the angst and the pain and the anger and the fear and the mistrust from your past? Because you see, if you don't recognize it, it will contaminate your future. And here's what I know, and, you know, based on what Jesus taught, based on my years of experience and working with people, you know, forgiveness, releasing the pain and the hurt and the wounds, this is the only way to move forward. It's the only way to move forward. And there's something else 
This is not going to just naturally happen. Like, you're not just going to come to a point where all the anger and resentment, everything is just going to kind of dissipate, you know, and fade out of existence. It's going to, it's going to corrupt your heart. And it's not going to just fade away. You have to decide, I am going to forgive. I am going to let it go. I am going to release it. Forgiveness allows you to leverage the lessons from the past without carrying the luggage. I taught on this issue uh, on September 12th, and if you want to review that, you know, the message is still on YouTube. But the major passage on this is found in Ephesians 4. Let me just read it for you, because this also, you know, applies to taking off the old and putting on the new. Listen to what it says. You were taught with regard to, with regard to your former way of life, listen to what it says, to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires based on wrong assumptions, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. You need to rethink it and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You strip off the old and you rethink it. You put on the new. It says, therefore, it goes on to say, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anger is created by fear and frustration. Now, how many of you think this might be, you know, apply to people who've been living in this last, you know, 20 months of, of having, you know, fear kind of pumped into our homes and being restricted and told where you can stand and what you need to wear and everything? Here's the deal. That's the lesson. How we handle it now is going to be the test. Because our calling is to love. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, you know, your calling, if you want to summarize everything, bring it right down. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know what the first two characteristics are of love that Paul mentions when he gives the definition in 1 in Corinthians 13? Love is patient, and love is kind. When it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it says, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. This stuff doesn't come naturally. And this passage goes on to say that the unforgiveness, the resentment, and the bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say here in uh, verses 31 and 32, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid, like Bring up a big garbage bag. Bring in the big bin, you know. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And that's the lesson, isn't it? That's been the lesson over this time. And the test is, will we actually do it? Can we come out of this season of life of fear and, and still be kind and still be compassionate? See, here's the thing. I've been forgiven for my sins. They've been washed away by Jesus. They've been cleansed by the blood that he shed on that cross that he had to drag up to that hill, okay? And so here's the deal. So have the people who have sinned against me. Their sins have been, you know, offered for forgiveness anyways. They've already been paid for. And that's why I'm called to forgive. Just like Jesus, just like Jesus forgave you, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, here's what I know about life, about the present crisis, you know, that we find ourselves in. It is not God's will that we end up as people who have been crippled and people who have been embittered by some stupid virus. Yes, it took down the world. 
Yes, it hindered everybody's life, you know, for 20 months or more. Yeah, we still are cautious about it. But friends, I am not going to let that thing take down my life, and you shouldn't either, because it's not worth it. There are worse things than getting sick from a virus or getting sick from a vaccine, honestly. And it's ending up with the kind of virus that can affect your soul and your world, and to be honest, your eternity. Really interesting, one of the main effects of this COVID virus is how it affects people's breathing, which is why, you know, people have to actually be put on, you know, heart-lung machines and so on, um, where there's artificial breathing. Interesting, isn't it, that the, that the Spirit is called the breath of God. Actually, pneuma means wind, the breath of God. There was this one day when I was out running, you know, and I was feeling really bad about life. I was feeling bad about myself. I was just really, really hurting inside. And as I was running, I was breathing, you know. <gasps> you know, and the further I ran, the harder I breathed, you know. And I thought, well, you know, breathing out gets all the junk out of you, and breathing in brings in the oxygen, and there's this old song I remember talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about breathing out and breathing in. And I thought to myself, maybe I ought to try applying that, you know. And so I, so I ran and breathed. I prayed, God, I just breathe out my anger. And I breathe in your grace and your forgiveness. I breathe out my irritability and my impatience. And I breathe in your patience and your kindness. And I breathe out my shame. And I breathe in your forgiveness. And I'll tell you, it changed the way I saw life. Maybe that should be the lesson. Maybe the lesson should be, you know, you can get a virus that will steal your breath, or you can breathe in a way that changes how you view life and changes how you see God and begins to change the inner part of your life. You breathe out the bad way of thinking, the assumptions that you've made. You breathe out the unforgiveness and the resentment and the doubt. You breathe out the blaming, and you breathe in the grace to do life differently. Own it. If you want to move on, if you want the future to be different than the past, you need to own it, you need to rethink it, and you need to release it. And God, in His grace, will give you the strength to do that. Let's pray. God, we struggle in life. We're kind of like that fish in the net. We, you know, writhe around and we get caught in stuff and we, you know, try to get our way out and before long we're just all tangled up in the mess. And I pray that you could help us to find freedom and find release. Instead of trying to excuse our sin and, you know, declare why we're, we have special circumstances, help us to just own what we need to own. Help us to rethink our lives so that we don't have to go through the pain again. Help us to release the people who've hurt us so that we can be free. And help us to breathe. To breathe out all of our fear and doubt and anger and resentment and breathe in the grace and the power of your spirit to the interior of our lives. Heal us. Set us free. Amen.